worship team. Hallelujah. Love that last song. Love all the songs, really. The, the lyrics, their expression of the heart. And your worship leader has to be a worshiper. Amen. And so I commend you all for your worship, for your heart. Amen. God bless you. Be seated. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. As you've already been told, I guess, in two announcements, that there's a booklet out there for everybody. The booklet looks like this. I asked Pastor Connie to hide it. <laughs> Some got a copy before she hid them. I, wanted, I didn't want you to be distracted, because the sermon's not all about this, just the first part. I'll mention a few things. When I uh, was saved back in 1973, my pastor's first wife, she died shortly after, Ruth Chunks was her name, and she was an evangelist, a Baptist evangelist, and uh, she, was, she had this sermon that I wanted her to preach wherever, whenever I invited them to come to my church. George did the preaching, but she always had one opportunity, and her sermon was called... I was there when the fire fell. So here was Ruth Tunks in Winnipeg, the city of Winnipeg, back at the turn of the last century when the Holy Spirit exploded from Azusa Street, Los Angeles, into all parts of the world. That movement of the Spirit. And she was there when it fell. Isn't that great? <laughs> she was an evangelist. And uh, so I always appreciated that. In the early years of my uh, Bible college training, I guess you would say, we were told that uh, during the war, the men, many of the men had to go to war. And that was an explanation of why there were some Pentecostal pastors that were women. It was because the men, there just weren't enough men to fill the churches. And based on a peripheral reading of the Bible, I thought, well, I guess that makes sense. Because, you know, after all, it does say, you know, a woman should not uh, have authority over a man and she should respect the head and they should be silent in church. So I guess that makes the most sense. <laughs> anyway, that's, that was just me. I'm not coming from a Christian background. But one of the things I want you to know, even though I thought all that, I just, I knew God kept making exceptions. And so I had women come and preach in my church with great anointing and with great results and teach and all of that stuff. I, I believed that. And I knew in my spirit that God was, spirit was upon them. You see, back when the Holy Spirit was outpoured at the turn of the last century and people started to be filled with the Holy Spirit and uh, spoke in other tongues, a lot of the uh, other churches didn't want anything to do with that, so they eventually, 20 years later or so, formed the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. But when the Holy Spirit moved in those days, and people were saved, it was a powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God saved men and women. Women also prophesied along with men. And they were called to ministry. And so in the early days of the Pentecostal Assemblies, we ordained women and men and sent them off into the mission field 
with the equal prayer and equal understanding that God had called them. In those early days, I mean, we were looked at as just a bit weird, you know. We were on the other side of the tracks. You know, we were not sophisticated fundamentalists that knew the Bible. We were ignorant people that, you know, babbled in tongues and all of that. Well, it took about 20 to 40 years or so. And then finally, some of those fundamentalists said, well, maybe they are Christians. <laughs> and so we kind of liked that. And we got accepted into the ecumen- or the <laughs> evangelicals and the fundamentalists. And so we stopped ordaining women sometime in the 40s, I believe it was. And then in the 80s, we had another conference in New Brunswick, and I was there. And it was put forth rather strongly from a biblical basis that we need to ordain women because God was calling women. So the vote came in favor, and we started ordaining women again. But that didn't change the way I thought because there's these crazy passages that that seem to say that, well, it's... Maybe it shouldn't be that way, that uh, it's okay for women to, to preach and all of that. So a few years ago, I was going to an annual conference, and it was in Florida, tough, you know, every So I'm in the airport, and I always went to the leadership section of one of the bookstores, and I picked up a leadership book. And this particular one caught my attention, <laughs> EP, right? Executive Present. Presence, pardon me, executive presence, and it's by Sylvia Ann Hewlett. And uh, she spoke and wrote in the book as a businesswoman, an executive businesswoman. And she said, when I walk into a room, it's all men. And she said, when I walk into the room, I have about five seconds to make a lasting impression. When I walk in, in those five seconds... I either make it or break it by the way I walk in, by the first words out of my mouth, and the way I'm dressed. And if I lose it in that first five seconds, I've lost my opportunity to present. Now, a guy could come in with his shirt tail hanging out, maybe his fly down, who knows, drop his papers, and those same guys will give him an opportunity And they will be gracious. At first, they will think, what a dope is this, you know. But they will give give him an opportunity and will give him a chance. And he may get the job or sell the product, whatever he's trying to do. When I read that and I listened to her, she wasn't speaking out of anger. She was just stating the facts. Because my wife was at Bible college at the time, working for the president, And uh, I was getting information all of the time. And the most recent information that I was getting was saying that 46% of the graduates from Bible college are women. And I was reading this book. And I had this burden come over me. I believe it was God that gave me this burden for the women who were graduating from Bible college. Were we properly preparing them for a man's world? They're going to go to churches where it's probably, if they make it, to a church with probably all men on the board. And they're going to be preaching to a congregation that has a mindset that uh, I guess it's okay, you know, whatever. So I had this concern. I sent this book. I bought a few copies. I gave them to three women ministers that I knew, senior pastors and other women in ministry, and the president of the Bible college. Well, the same thing happened to him. 
And he realized that we were not properly preparing our women pastors for the unique challenges when it comes to teaching at the Bible college, challenges they're going to face in a boardroom, and etc. But that only that just answers half of it. What about those scriptures, right? Well, that's where I go to my notes now. Women in leadership. First slide. After executive president. It said in the book of Acts, what was already said in the book of Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Even on your servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit on those days. Well, we all kind of, yep, yep. What about women in leadership? Paul said, who everybody credits with these good chauvinistic things that he said about women and men. He also said, there's no longer Greek or Jew. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer <coughs> male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. But what about these interesting inconsistencies? Paul says that on one hand, and then he tells the ladies to be quiet in church and don't talk. And if you're, but then on the other hand, he says, well, if you're going to prophesy, though, that's okay. But make sure your head is covered. You know, cultural stuff, eh? And then about the headship, now that's a tough one, where arguing Paul says, you know, obey or submit to your husband as he's the head. And uh, then, then when he says to Timothy, I do not allow women to have authority or usurp authority is really what's mentioned in there. So here we are today. If you listen to Christian radio, you've heard enough of that trash, I call it. I get so angry about some things sometimes, and this is one of those areas, because I was on the other side at one time. People that say we, we should not submit to a woman. So my question is, if you don't submit to the woman, do you submit to this book? For there are at least five women that wrote parts of this book. Okay? Anna, Elizabeth, Mary, Miriam, Deborah. And uh, what about the facts that Women are prophets, Miriam, Huldah, Isaiah's wife, Anna, many others. Women held every possible position in the local church that were all under Paul's leadership. Teacher, Priscilla, elder, pastor, the chosen lady in Second John, deacons, Phoebe, apostle, whoa, Junia, now, some of the people that don't like this, the reformers, they say, well, it's really Junius, and it's a male. Whatever, you know. Leaders, Mary, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis, Evangelist, Mary Magdalene, First Evangelist, Salome, Mary. I know some of the men are already getting their backs up. <laughs> and I'm not just saying this to make all the ladies feel good, Okay. I've got four sisters, and they know how to handle me. You know, <laughs> uh, When he talks about the gifts and the calling in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12, never does Paul ever mention gender in those cases. Paul was talking to Timothy and giving him instructions, and he says, women should not wear expensive clothes, braid their hair, wear gold, wear pearls, and they should not teach or have authority over a man, but must be silent. 
So all the evangelicals agree that the first four are just a cultural thing, right? But the reformers hold on to this last one, and they say, no, the last one is a universal law from the time of Jesus and that culture to this culture. Just interesting how we can take four of the five and say, well, these are just cultural. Women, it's okay if you braid your hair, wear expensive clothes, etc. Well, in this little booklet... I have taken information from a Presbyterian, a Nazarene, and a Methodist, people that I highly respect as Bible scholars, and I just answered those questions, or they answered those questions about headship, submission, and silence. So this is my Mother's Day gift to all the women that are here, and that is that, and for all of us that are kind of the way I used to think, well, God makes exceptions, obviously, Well, just read it. I'm not trying to say that I'm right, but let's just see what the Bible says. Let's look at some of the things that are written there about women in ministry. Pretty quiet here. All the women, you can speak, you know, you can say amen. (laughs) Thank you, ladies. (laughs) Well, this is Mother's Day. That's about women in leadership. That's just a gift that I put together because I'm so passionate about it. You know, I I worked with a committee. This is how it all happened. I'm sorry, I digress for a second. So I, I, I pulled these four people together, and I met at the national office, because I didn't want to appear like I'm doing anything in a corner. I met at the national office of Mississauga, and we talked about, you know, how can we better prepare women for ministry, starting at the Bible College. And out of that came WPI, Women Pastors Initiative, and Pastor Connie was actually at those. But uh, what we did was we came up with some teaching, first of all, to deal with the fact that there's two sides to this. There's the biblical. How do we answer the biblical? We did that the second year. And uh, the first year we just talked in generally, generally with the general superintendent and both district superintendents is affirming to the women leaders in that room that they knew that God had had his, had his hand on their life. And so even after that, Patty Miller, who pastors in Montreal, is a wonderful woman of God, good pastor, lead pastor of that church in Montreal. Well, Patty was speaking at Brayside Camp as one of the camp speakers. And I went to have a quick chat with her one day while she was there. And she says, Tom, every poster says, I'm the speaker. But people in this Pentecostal camp come up to me and say, So uh, when is your husband speaking? (laughs) And you know what? Patty, I I don't know what it's like now because I haven't talked to her for three or four years, but she said, in my church, people come up to me and they say, Patty, I, I know God's anointed you. I know he's called you. God speaks to me through you, but I can't get my head around these passages. Well... Just read it, see if it makes sense. If it doesn't, then you can join the reformers. <laughs> Sorry, sound like I'm making some political things. Not at all. I just genuinely uh, feel that it's important for us to realize that. Pastor Connie could be the superintendent of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, in my mind, according to the scripture. Sure she could. (laughs) 
So let's get to mums. Let's have some fun. That was pretty serious talk, wasn't it? <laughs> Michael Horvin told a story. He says, one day, a wife said to her husband, Albert, I've been watching the Smiths next door. Mrs. Smith, Mr. Smith is so thoughtful. He brings his wife candy and flowers. He always kisses her so affectionately when he comes home. He just enjoys doing things for her. I wonder why you don't do that. He didn't take long to respond. He said, I really don't know her that well. (laughs) Sometimes we just don't get it, do we, guys? (laughs) I have a special message today for moms. Richard Champion said, if men had to give babies, the population would be a whole lot smaller. The severe pain of travail at childbirth uh, is one thing. Then the pain that seems to all but disappear once the child comes. Those nine months, long months of carrying the little one, and all the physiological, the hormonal, and the emotional changes that take place, and then the baby. Jesus said this way, He said, when a woman gives birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer even remembers the sorrow. But the joy of bringing a human being into the world. The story today is uh, taken from the book of Judges, and we'll look at there in a moment. And uh, it shows us that mothers are never really too far from pain, ever. And uh, even when their children are well and not sick, their pain is there. The psychological pain as the child grows up and hopes don't materialize, perhaps. The pain as well as can be overwhelming. Fathers aren't exempt from the pain, but just doesn't seem to be the same way for mothers. They feel it more. Remember when one of our boys came home and said these guys are bullying them taken advantage of him. And Kathy is quite concerned, of course, and thought we should go talk to the teachers. Well, my advice to my son says, punch him right back. (laughs) So I remember he hops off the bus and he goes, Dad, I did it. I punched him right back. (laughs) So we had to talk to the teacher, but it worked. (laughs) I'm not saying that's the best way, but that worked for our situation. You know, I think back to the birth of Jesus and and Mary and Joseph are in the temple, and they're dedicating Jesus, and they're so full of joy. And then the prophecy comes uh, from this uh, Simeon, and uh, Simeon basically you know, says these wonderful things about this man, little baby that he's going to become the savior of the world. And uh, then he throws this last line in there to the prophecy. And the last line is this, almost like an afterthought, And a sword will pierce your own soul too, Mary. Hmm. Then we skip ahead about 30 years and we see Jesus on the cross, being crucified, hanging on that cruel Roman cross, being viciously and cruelly killed before her eyes for no crime he had ever done other than the fact that he wanted to take our place on the cross so that we might be able to experience the presence of God in heaven one day. Motherhood has its joys and its rewards. They often outweigh the pain. But pain is there lurking just 
ever so close under the surface, many a time ready to strike at unsuspecting moments. Pain is unavoidably linked to motherhood and not just to the biological process that we talked about, travail. What about the pain of people who might be here today who do not know the woman who gave them birth? For them, life has become a search for their roots. They wonder why their mother gave them up. Was it some intolerable situation? Did a loving mother do her best? What about the pain of wives who desperately want to have children but can't? Or husbands who won't? So honoring mothers on Mother's Day might thrust a dagger deeper. And there's never any intention to do that, of course. Jesus understands. But we need to honor our mothers. Exodus, the Ten Commandments says, Honor your father and mother. We need to honor, we need to obey God. Amen. I'll just show you a couple of pictures of uh, my grandkids and sons. There we go. That's my <laughs> that's my two oldest. They're in their thirties now. Actually, one's forty. <laughs> and the next picture, the one that's a smaller one. He's the one that lost his wife and left him with three little kids. Next picture, there they are again. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is looking after them, even though mom's in heaven right now. A wonderful mother-in-law and my wife, who can get up there to Sudbury once in a while, too, to help out, and lots of wonderful friends. But those little girls, those little boys and little girl, won't grow up with a mom, will they? <laughs> well, a few months ago, I shared a message in the book of Deborah, and we discovered Deborah wrote a song in chapter 5 of Judges. And in that song, she described the battle that was uh, accounted for in chapter 4. And in both chapter 4, the account and the song, she makes reference to another woman, J.L., who took a tent peg and killed Sisera. Sisera was the leader of the uh, enemy armies. And this woman... Uh, Killed, killed him, and his name was Sisera. But the woman I want to talk about today briefly is the story of Sisera's mom. And what do we see in the scripture? It says in verse 28 of Judges chapter, uh, tw- uh, chapter 5, out of the window she peered. This is his mom. Because he's not home and the battle's been going on for some time. Out of the window she peered, the mother of Sisera, wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of the chariots? In other words, the clanking of the iron chariots. Her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided some spoil? That's what's taking them so long, right? A womb or two for every man with dyed material, spoil of dyed materials for Sisera, spoil of dyed materials embroidered, two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil. Sisera's mom. She's at home. She doesn't know he's died. And so she's looking for him. She's expecting him. In this story, as we have already mentioned, she's a woman waiting for her son to return from the battle with spoils of the war. That's just the way they did it in those days. She looks out the window, 
And uh, we hear the words of this woman who doesn't realize her son's been killed. After all, he is a Canaanite with all of these iron chariots, much larger than the Israelites. And in ancient societies, of course, he was killed by Jael, a woman. In ancient societies, this would have been an awful shame for a hero to be killed by a woman. And we know that from four chapters later, when Abimelech gets too close to the tower and a stone gets dropped on him and he's going to die. And he says to his servant, please kill me. It'll be a shame if it says a woman dropped this stone on my head. That's the culture of that particular day. So I want to take just a couple of moments and talk about a mother's loving heart. And we see it through this woman, Sisera's mother. I don't know her name. But she is a woman who loves her son, obviously, just the way she's looking for him. It's very obvious, even though it's not mentioned specifically in the text. Richard Nixon, when he was found guilty at Watergate, the first words out of his mouth, one of the first words at least, were these words, to make sure everybody knew this. My mother was a saint. That's something. What he's saying is, don't blame her. It's my fault. Falls on me. Praying mothers. I don't know how many sports athletes were raised by single moms and have made it to the Hall of Fame. Just, it's incredible. How many of them have gone on and been so strongly influenced? How many great preachers? will quote words from their mom, not their dad, when they're talking about the inspiration that they had as a youth. It's just incredible. I know that there was one guy said, uh, you know, I took my boy to the football practices as soon as he could wear the, the equipment, took him to high school, took him to college, and then he made it, and he was drafted, and he became the, one of the best quarterbacks, and they went all the way to the Super Bowl, And he says, his son threw the ball, and the guy caught it, and they won the game. And now his son, he's saying, that's my boy, you know, that's my boy, (laughs) to all the people around him. And he gets on TV, and the boy says, the guy says, what do you have to say? Hi, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got a feeling she deserved it, probably. When I grew up, it was in a different culture too, where most of the time, the women that were at home and the husband worked. So my mom looked after the house, the laundry, the groceries, the cooking, the meals. We did the dishes, but that was about it. Birthdays, clothes, packing, lunches, all expressions of love. Cicero's mom loved him. Secondly, Cicero's mom's her longing and waiting heart. Evangelist R.A. Torrey explains that as a youth, he chose to go in an opposite and reckless direction from what his mother had taught him. And when he left home as a rebellious teen in a tearful farewell, his mother embraced him and she said, Son, at the bottom of your trunk, or suitcase, I have placed a Bible. When the moment comes when you have lost everything and you conclude that there is nothing worthwhile that this life has to offer, you will find in the trunk the lamp, the light, needed to pierce that darkness. So in a cheap hotel in St. Louis, when R.A. Torrey came to the end of his rope, he reached for the Bible. 
and the light flashed. Amen. But Ari Tori's mother prayed. She waited years. Moms wait. Sister's mom waited. Begins with the pregnancy at the birth. She waits nine months. She waits for the first step, the first word. They pack the lunches often and wait for the returning footsteps. They wait for the phone calls now (laughs) that we're gone, the letters, the birthday cards. Hopefully we all phone our moms today if they're living, right? Neglect of a mother should haunt any son or daughter for sure. Jesus would have none of that on his conscience as he's hung there as a 33-year-old or so man. And his mom left behind. Joseph is off the scene. We assume he's gone and died. And uh, he looks down from the cross and he says to John, his relative, and to Mary, he says, John, behold, your mom. Look after mom. <laughs> and to his mom, this is your son. <laughs> and so John did take her into his, into his home. And she was with him. She died in Ephesus. Has a home there today, or the ruins of which you find. Sisera's mother had been waiting and longing for her son's return. Moms, I know you're waiting, some of you, and longing. You don't know what's going on out there. Comes to that expectant heart, mother's expectant heart. Gaze, it says. She gazed through the lattice. So obviously, she's up high enough in this building. I'm sure he had a pretty nice building. And often we've seen that longing gaze as parents are just waiting, wondering when they're coming home. See, Sisera's mother believed in her son. She trusted in her son. She shared the sparkle of that uniform. I mean, he was the top guy in the army. And the shine on his his helmet. How proud she must have been of her son, the chief commander of the army. Obviously, he was a thoughtful son. I know why he's delayed, she says. He's gathering precious gifts and spoil from the battle to adorn my neck. His habit. He was a loving, caring son. Sisera made her stand high and tall among all the Canaanitish women. I've seen that thing with my mother at times, you know. Because I end up being front and center at a lot of family funerals, they always ask me to preach or... Or two, you do the eulogy. I, I know my mom is saying after it's over, that, that's my son. <laughs> that's my son. <laughs> so I better do a good job, right? <laughs> Fourthly, the mom's anxious heart. Her anxious concern is seen in the word wail. It's the only time it's used in the Old Testament, this Hebrew word wail. The apprehension of Sisera's mother grows as she wonders why she does not hear the hoof prints or the clacking of those iron chariots. In response to these anxious premonitions of his mom, her attendants assure her, don't worry. He's late because he's dividing up the spoils. The spoils of the, from the war for, for all the soldiers, colorful and ornate government, uh, garments, pardon me, jewelry, and a womb or two for every man because that's the awful thing about war back in those days. They killed the men and took the women. And some of the women would just become love slaves. And so that was the thinking in these girls' minds. The brutality of war is so, so showed. 
So shown to us. She begins to worry. She verbalizes her thoughts. Perhaps trying to be optimistic and to deafen that inner voice that's sensing something has gone wrong. Something. You know, sons and daughters can become careless, can't they? Mothers cannot always shield their sons and daughters from the dangers and the troubles that are out there. Mothers know the dangers of these lurking predators in the world. And that's why Proverbs says twice, do not forsake your mother's teaching. There is a mother's worry that not sin or lack of, uh, pardon me, her worry is not a lack of trust in God or, 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 or la- a sin in that case of the, in that sense of the word worry. Well, the curfew's passed. They're not answering my texts. I wonder when they're going to arrive home early. Or, or, I mean, when they're going to arrive home. The child disappears from playing in the background for a moment in a busy city mall. Oh, the high price of motherhood. This kind of worrying and concern continues even after the children leave home. My mom used to say that. And now I have four adult boys. And Yeah, I know. <laughs> I thought it was just going to be, oh, good. (laughs) Now I worry more than I did before. (laughs) And finally, we come to the last part, her broken heart. There's nothing in the story about the broken heart, but we know what happened when Sisera did not come home. Mothers don't always die before their children, do they? Sometimes it's the other way around. Broken-hearted mothers and grandmothers cry out for the salvation of their children and their grandchildren I want to read you a story that I came across twice in the last few months, written by the same author, but two different books. It's a story of a mother in Scotland. So I read it to you. A story of a mother in Scotland and her dear lassie, her daughter, whose name was Janet, who went wrong, broke with her family and home, moved down to London, and went into what was described as the uttermost degradation. Her mother hadn't heard from her for 10 years. One night, broken and ruined and wrecked, Janet decided to make her way back home. When she arrived, it was the dead of night. She went up up the little lane that led to the humble house. And when she got near, she noticed that there was a light burning in the window. So she became frightened, thinking her mom must be sick or something's wrong. She crept up to the door and she found out that the door was not locked. It, wasn't, it was unlatched. And as she opened the door to go in, she heard a voice. <laughs> Is that you, Janet? True story. What the light, what was the light burning for, mother, she says. The light hasn't gone out since you left. (laughs) And the door has never been locked. (laughs) Worship team is coming now. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, thank you for moms. We recognize today the pain and the burden that mothers carry. We just pray right now, Lord, that you will bless hearts that are here. 
Many of us have a son or daughter off in the far country. Like a prodigal gone off. We don't know when they're coming home, if they'll come home. But we pray on. So God, I pray for moms and dads, brothers and sisters, that they will keep on praying. Hallelujah. Lord, help us to keep on hoping. Help us to keep on believing. Help us to keep the light burning in the upper room. Help us to keep the door unlocked, we pray. Bless moms. Some may go home and not receive a phone call today. I ask you to bless them. And show them that you love them. You're the heavenly father that loves them. And your son died for them. I pray, Lord, that you will bless those that are here. That are moms of little children. Lord, you will continue to give them strength. You continue to give them patience. Continue to help them. For grandmas that are here, we pray you'll bless them. Bless all the ladies that are here. Every one of them, we pray in this special day. Recognizing women as those that are equally called by God and equally anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. Bless us together, we pray. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.